0: Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Bethany, Pastor Bill. If you have your Bibles there with you, and I hope you do, I want to encourage you to open them to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis 5. Whether you gather in your home or you gather here at the church to worship, you need the Word of God in front of you. And if you've read ahead and You know where we're at in Genesis. You've already seen that we're gonna be looking at a genealogy this morning. A sermon on a genealogy has to rank up there with a root canal and a trip to the DMV. (laughs) Nothing like a, a genealogy to get you fired up to study the word of God. But what do we know as believers in Jesus Christ? We know that all scripture is God breathed. And all scripture is profitable For our lives. Even those passages, those genealogies that we tend to skip over as we read through the Word of God, we've probably all done it. I've done it. We kind of glance through those genealogies. I believe God has something to teach us this morning. To teach us about His character and who He is and, and what He expects us to be as His people. Well, you remember last week we studied a man and a group of people, the beginning of civilization, who has rejected the truth of God. They have rejected the gospel of God and the judgment of God, and they're going to do their own thing, and they're a wicked and worldly group of people. And then right alongside that family and right alongside that generation this morning, we're going to see another family that really moving out from the garden, you see two races of people. You see the seed of the woman headed up by Christ and you see the seed of the serpent headed up by Satan. And what we learned last week is that all of us physically were born a seed of Satan, that we've all been infected by the sin of Adam. And even though we've not sinned, maybe in his likeness, we are affected by his sin. In fact, Paul spends almost an entire chapter, Romans chapter 5, talking about that very thing. That the death of sin reigned over all those who existed from Adam to Moses. And so uh, even we who are uh, born of Adam, we are sinners and we experience the consequence of that which is death. But how do we become a part of the seed of the woman? How do we become a part of the people of God? Well, in order to become a part of the people of God, we must be born again by means of faith in Jesus Christ. That what we're learning as we walk through the book of Genesis is that all the way back to the beginning, salvation has always been about faith. Now, certainly our faith is more clearly delineated than theirs was. They had believed in in the seed of the woman who would come. We know that person to be Jesus. And by means of faith in Christ, we're born again into God's family. But what we're going to see this morning, as we look more closely at the line of Seth, the people of God, the people of righteousness, we're going to see that there's some characteristics that mark their lives and mark this family. That that you have this family, the godly people living in an ungodly world, and there's some characteristics that mark their life. And what we're going to find out is these characteristics, that we too are God's people living in an ungodly world, And these characteristics should mark our lives as well. What we're going to do, we're going to pray together. We're going to read this, and then we're going to pray. Um, But let's just start with reading it. So let's begin in chapter 5. We're going to read this genealogy together. Look with me, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day when God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. And then Seth lived 807 years, and he became the father of Enosh and had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and became the father of Kenan. And then Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Kenan, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Kenan lived 70 years, and he became the father of Mahalalel. And then Kenan lived 840 years after he became the father of Mahalalel, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and became the father of Jared. Then Mahalalel lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died." Jared lived 162 years and became the father of Enoch. And then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and he became the father of Methuselah. And then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years and Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and became the father of Lamech. And then Methuselah lived 782 years after he became the father of Lamech. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. And he died. Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work. And from the toil of our hands arising from the ground, which the Lord has cursed. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now I want us to pray together this morning. As we pray, we're gonna pray for the study of God's word, but I also wanna pray specifically for a couple of our missionary partners. Um, Heath and Amber, I'm not going to give their last name, they're serving in Asia. They're IMB missionaries, but missionaries that we also support uh, separate from the IMB uh, to help them out in their ministry. Heath is currently stuck in Asia. Uh, he had to have his gallbladder removed, and when they removed it, they found a lot of infection surrounding that gallbladder. His health uh, is not good right now. And he desperately needs our prayers. His wife is stateside, and she can't go to him, and he can't come to her. He also has his teenage daughter there with him. Uh, But as you can imagine, this is an especially difficult uh, time for them. And I want to pray for them. Uh, specifically, and also pray for the study of God's Word this morning. So would you join me? If you're able, uh, you can take a knee or get on your knees, but I'm going to take a knee this morning just in demonstration of our total dependence upon the Lord today. So if you want to join me, that's great. If you're not able, that's fine as well, but let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you this morning, we bend the knee and we bow our head. Because we recognize this morning that you are God. You are sovereign over all the circumstances of our life. And God, we trust you because we know that you are good. God, we thank you this morning for your love and how you care for us in the midst of the storms of life. And I want to pray right now for Heath and Amber, this couple that left in the spirit of an Abraham what they were used to and what they were comfortable with in their own home and went to some foreign place to share the light of Christ. And God, they have been so faithful and so diligent but now they find themselves in a different, difficult spot. And Lord, we just pray your hand of protection would be upon them both. We pray for Heath today. We do pray for his phys- physical healing. But God, I pray that you would sustain him. I know that if he were here this morning, he would tell us, don't pray necessarily for my physical health. Pray that the gospel would be advanced even in this moment. So God, I pray that you would strengthen him and in this couple, you would shine the light of your gospel so that anybody around him in that hospital room, if they don't know you, they would come to faith in Christ. And even now, his ministry and your work would be fruitful. God, I pray that you would comfort them. I pray that you would give them peace. And God, I pray for us this morning. God, be with us today. God, I do not ask you to bless my words. But God, I pray that you would bless your word. I pray that it would go forth in power. And if there's anybody that's joining us this morning online, in whatever way they might be joining us today, if they don't know you, I pray that even in this genealogy, they would come to know the one who conquered the grave so that they could have eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we come to this text, as I said, there are some characteristics that we see of this this family, the people of God. And one of the first that jumps out at me, we really have to go back to chapter 4 to see, but I wanted to point this out. Uh, The primary characteristic that I see is that these were a people of prayer. You say, well, how do you know they were a people of prayer? Well, if you look in chapter 4, at the end of verse 26, they have this son, or Seth has this son, Enosh, and then it says, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. It's interesting, that word, or that name, Enosh, it means mortal. It means frailty. Frailty. It appears that within this family, there is a recognition that they are not that strong, that they are mortal. In fact, they are now experiencing something called death that they hadn't known before. If you read that genealogy again, the one thing that will jump out to you is that phrase, and he died. These are mortal people. There's a recognition that they are frail. And they know that their only source of strength will come as they call upon the name of the Lord, that their only hope of strength will be God. And so they call upon the name of the Lord. Really, you could say that this is the first mentioning of prayer in Scripture. And prayer is always birthed out of a recognition that you are completely and totally dependent upon God. In fact, if you are not praying today, it's because you don't think you need God. Prayer is the ultimate demonstration of our desperate need of the power of God in our lives. And if you look at this generation, this family here, this line of Seth, this is a group of people that that God has withdrawn his physical presence And as we noted last week, they're surrounded by another family that is incredibly ungodly and wicked with no regard for God. And now they have a son named Enish. There's a recognition that we are not that strong, that we are weak. This family is experiencing something that I like to call the blessing of despair. That there's a recognition in this family that if God doesn't show up, we are done. And whenever you find the people of God making an impact for God in an ungodly world, you will always find a group of weak people who are strengthened by the power of God in prayer. That the aroma and the atmosphere of prayer has always been a distinguishing mark of the people of God. And is this not a good word for us today? That right now, more than ever before, we need to be a group of people who are crying out to God in desperate prayer. You know, I don't know about you, but I have often prayed that God would bring revival in our nation. And I don't know if you prayed that prayer, but I know this. As I prayed that prayer, I never prayed that God would bring it by means of a worldwide virus. That would be deadly, that would be asymptomatic, that would grind the world to a halt and confine us to our homes. Isn't that often how we pray? We we want God to do something great, but we don't want him to mess with our lives. But here's what I truly believe. I believe that God is at work in the midst of our circumstances in ways that we can't even begin to possibly imagine. In fact, I was reading the book of Habakkuk this week. And God is using the Chaldeans to bring judgment upon the nation of Israel. And Habakkuk says, why are you doing this? And God says, I'm at work in ways that if I told you how I was working, you wouldn't even believe it. I believe that God might be working in the midst of this circumstance to bring about worldwide revival. But here's what I know. If you study revival, revival always begins With prayer. In fact, it's been said prayer doesn't bring revival, prayer is revival. That prayer begins revival, prayer sustains revival, and wherever prayer or whenever prayer ceases, revival ceases. I cannot overemphasize our need to seek God in prayer. In fact, I would say to you this morning, if I were forced to choose between preaching and praying, I'd give up preaching. Because I've seen God do more in my praying than I've ever seen him do in my preaching. And so like the family of Seth, we're we're living in an ungodly world, a world that has rejected God and Christ and his word. We're in the midst of a spiritual battle And we are not as strong as we think we are, as this virus has clearly indicated. It's amazing to me. We can put a man on the moon, but we cannot escape death. And I believe if we truly understood the power of God that was available to us in prayer, you couldn't keep us from praying. That was the generation of Seth, desperate for God in prayer. They weren't praying because they had to. As I like to say it, they were praying because... They had to. They were people of prayer. Secondly, we see here that they had a clear understanding of their spiritual lineage. A clear understanding of their spiritual lineage. It's amazing if you play this thing out to see how how long these people lived. Adam over 900 years, Seth over 800 years, several of these over 800 years many over 700 years, it's, it's interesting. If you get a chance, you can kind of write out a genealogy and see how their lives overlapped. But if you, if you put this out, you'll realize that Noah is really only two generations removed from the Garden of Eden. Isn't that amazing? And I can just imagine Adam gathering up the family from, from time to time and gathering ar- around him and, and recalling to them the beauty of the Garden of Eden and telling them, you, you can't even begin to imagine how great it was. And t- telling them about what it was like to walk with God in the cool of the garden and, and then recounting to them the nature of sin and how they were deceived and the consequences of that sin, that this world is not as it was, and looking at his family and being able to tell them, listen, you know why it's not as it was intended to be? Because I goofed, and I disobeyed God, and it brought sin and death into this world, but then being able to also tell them, listen to me, but here's the deal, right after that sin, God came to us, and he made a promise that there would be a conflict, but one day he was gonna send somebody, That somebody was going to come, and somebody was going to lay down his life. There'd be a miracle baby born, and that child would defeat sin, Satan, and death, but he would be wounded in the transaction. How encouraging that must have been to the family of faith, and maybe at the same time they offered sacrifice, but they were constantly reminded, this is who we are. We're a people who are sinners, but we're trusting in God who will come and save us. And probably just as importantly, think about, think about the people to whom this was originally written. The original author of this is who? It's Moses. And who was he writing to? He's writing to the nation of Israel. When? He was writing it to them after they had uh, miraculously been redeemed from the bondage of Egypt. So imagine this. You've got the people of Israel. They've been beaten down for over 400 years under Egyptian bondage. And now they've been miraculously redeemed. And all they really know of their spiritual lineages is the patriarchs. And now Moses gathers them around and says, let me tell you something. Let me tell you who you are, that your lineage begins before Abraham that it goes all the way back to the garden that you're the people of the God that that you're from from Adam and and you're from Seth and you're from Enoch and you're from Noah and you're from Shem and you're, you're from Abraham this is who you are you're the people of God you're a part of a divine plan and a divine purpose and a promise of God all the way back right after the fall of man. How encouraging that must have been to the nation of Israel during that time. We're the people of God. This is where we came from. And folks, I think we would do well to imitate this model with our families. Can I just ask you this morning, when was the last time you gathered up your family and you told them your spiritual story? when was the last time you gathered up your family and you told them about when you came to faith in Christ? Grandparents, when was the last time you gathered up your grandkids and you told them, this is when grandpa came to faith in Christ. This is when grandma came to faith in Christ. This is who we are. We're the people of God. And maybe you're the first in your family to trust in Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Well, how exciting! You you get to to begin a new spiritual lineage and one day your your grandkids are going to talk about oh, grandpappy and how he trusted in Christ and he changed the whole trajectory of our family. I think this is so important that if we're going to pass along our faith to another generation, that we remind our families of who we are and where we came from that we're the people of God and we make different decisions and we respond differently than the world during the tough circumstances of life and we have different morals and we have different values because we are the people of God and we're a part of a divine plan and a divine purpose that began long ago in the garden when God made a promise to send somebody to save us. I think this is so critical. You know, in these times when we're, we're confined to our homes, I know you might say, well, that makes it a little more difficult, but you know what you can do? Grandparents, how about FaceTiming the grandkids? How about setting up a Zoom conference call? We're all getting introduced to Zoom these days. And gathering those kids up. You, you, the kids aren't going to school. If they're not going to school, Grandpa, you get to be a guest lecturer in the school of faith tomorrow morning, and you call in and you share with them, this is who you are. This is where you came from. You're a part of a divine plan and a divine purpose that's bigger than you. So here we see this family. They, they were a people of prayer. They had a clear understanding of their spiritual lineage, but thirdly, they, they walked with God. You know, this is the part of the chapter that really sticks out to me is Enoch. He's the only person within this generation, within this family, apart from uh, obviously Adam and Seth and Noah, but, but here is Enoch, one of this generation, and he's mentioned in the New Testament in Luke chapter three, the genealogy of Jesus. He's, he's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith. He's mentioned the book of Jude. He's one of only two individuals who never experienced death. And look what it says of him in verses 21 through 24. It says, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. And then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God. He was not for God took him. It's interesting. Here, here's uh, Enoch and he has a child, a boy named Methuselah. And then it says, and then... Enoch walked with God. Now, what was it about Methuselah that causes Enoch to suddenly deepen in his relationship with God? Now, we would all say if you've had a boy, you would know that having a boy in your family can cause you to draw closer to God. We got two of them, and they cause us to draw closer to God all the time. But there's obviously more to this. What's going on here? Well, the the name Methuselah, Methuselah means when he dies, it comes. Most believe when he dies, judgment comes. Now, you've seen these two lines, the line of Cain, the line of Seth. And if you play out the generations, who's the contemporary of Enoch? Enoch's the seventh in his generations following Seth. The seventh in the generations uh, following Cain is Lamech. And remember, we studied Lamech last week. Man, this guy is incredibly immoral and ungodly. He's murdering people. He has no regard for the dignity of man, no regard for the judgment of God. And his contemporary is Enoch. So here is Enoch living in an ungodly day And it appears that God meets up with him and in a revelation tells Enoch, that boy there, when he dies, judgment is coming. He tells Enoch that the world is now on a time frame. And this knowledge of God that judgment is coming so affects Enoch that he now deepens in his relationship with God. And it is said of him that he walked with God. Can I ask you this morning, do you have anybody in your life right now that you would say of them, boy, when I think of that person, that's a person who walks with God. I, whenever I think of that, I, I think of a professor I had at Southwestern Seminary named Dr. J.W. McGorman. And Dr. McGorman had a powerful story. is a Young teenage boy, he was rebellious towards the things of God, but he had an illness that put him in the hospital for 30 days. And he was on his back in a hospital bed, and all he had was the Word of God. And during that time, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Due to his illness, he was told, You need to move to a warmer climate. He was working his way, or a drier climate. He was working his way to Arizona, and his money ran out about Dallas. Went to the University of Texas, eventually ended up at Southwestern Seminary, got his PhD, and then taught, uh, I believe, at Southwestern for around 60 years. He had a son that he lost to cancer. He said this son was so incredibly intelligent, but that son never came to know Christ. Christ. In fact, Dr. McGorman pleaded with his son to receive Jesus while he was on his deathbed, and he refused to trust Christ. He had a daughter who had a mental illness and caused he and his wife to have to raise their grandsons during their teenage years when he and his wife were in their 70s. And you could go into Dr. McGorman's office, and he had a green couch over in the corner. In front of that green couch and the wooden floor, there was two worn-out spots where that man had spent so much time on his knees in prayer. There was nothing physically impressive about him. But I'm telling you what, this man radiated the glory of God. You couldn't spend two minutes with him without being impressed and overwhelmed by the grace of God that he demonstrated in his life, in his ministry, and in his teaching. You probably have somebody like that in your life. I wish we had time this morning to go to the New Testament and see all the places in the New Testament where it talks about walking with God. But this is basically what, if you pull those passages together in the New Testament, what it means to walk with God is to enjoy the fellowship, and the presence of God in your life on a moment-by-moment basis. It's a Psalm 1 individual, a man or a woman who delights themselves in the law of the Lord, and in his law they meditate both day and night, and they become like a tree. You know somebody like that that's a tree firmly planted by streams of water, it yields its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. An individual that's so closely connected to God that regardless what circumstance you put them in, they flourish under the glory of God. That's what it means to walk with God. That was Enoch. In light of this revelation that God was coming, he drew close to the Lord. And folks, that's what we're intended to be. We too have a revelation from God, it's called the Word of God, and the Word of God tells us that this, this world is on a time frame, and knowing that this world is on a time frame and knowing we had but a limited opportunity to tell people about Christ, we draw close to God in the study of His Word and in prayer so that we're, we're filled up to the fullness of God so that the world would see Christ in us. You know, whenever I think of that, I, I think of the story of these gentlemen who, these businessmen who had told their wives they were away on a trip, and they had told their wives, we'll be home Friday evening for dinner. And as was normal, on Friday afternoon, the meetings went a little long, and they were rushing to catch their train so that they could get home for dinner. They knew if they missed their train, it would be several more hours before another train would come. And in a rush to catch their train, there was a boy selling apples and they knocked over his stand and his cart and the apples went everywhere and the men knew they felt bad but they knew if we go back we're not going to catch our train we're going to miss dinner with our families and so most of them went on but one individual he just he couldn't go on he he went back and he helped the boy pick up the apples and as he began to help him he he was so glad that he returned because he learned that the the boy was blind he helped the boy set up his cart and his stand and put the apples back in their place and then he Reached into his wallet and he handed the boy fifty dollars and he said, Hopefully this will cover any damage to your cart or any damage to the apples that we caused. And as the man was walking away, the little boy cried out, Sir, are you Jesus? Folks, this world is on a time frame. And it might just be that you're the only Jesus that your neighbor or coworker or friend ever sees. It might just be that you're the only Bible that they ever get a chance to read. My question to you this morning, are you so closely walking with God that they see Christ in you? These are a people who were a people of prayer. They were a people who had a clear understanding of their spiritual lineage, and they walked with God. Interesting note here as well. Enoch has a son named Methuselah. We already said this. His name means when he dies, it will come. What would it have told us? What what if Methuselah had only lived 15 years? What would that have told us about the patience of God? It would have told us that God is not very patient, is he? But what is the one thing that that Methuselah is most known for? He is most known for what? Being the oldest man to ever walk the face of the earth. What does that tell us about the patience of God? That God is incredibly and overwhelmingly patient, desiring none to perish but all to come to faith in Christ. If you're watching this morning and you don't know Christ, it could just be that the reason that Christ isn't, hasn't yet returned is because he's waiting for you to trust him. They walk with God. Finally, they had a word from God. Look at verses 28 and 29. It says, Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. and he, Now he called his name Noah, saying, this one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Now you gotta remember Noah is born hundreds and hundreds of years after Genesis 3. And they don't have, I'm saying here that they've got a word from God, but you have to understand they don't have the written word of God, but they do have a word from God. They have a promise from God. And what I want you to see here is that hundreds and hundreds of years after God spoke that promise, they still retain two critical aspects of the Word of God that are critical to salvation. They have an understanding, we've seen here, they have an understanding that the the ground is cursed, that this world is not as it was. It's not as it was intended to be. And why is this ground cursed? It's cursed because of sin, that we are broken. This world is broken because of sin. But they also retain another simple truth, And that's a clinging to the promise that God is gonna send somebody to save us. How do we know that? Because Lamech is gonna have a son that he names what? Noah, and what does Noah mean? Noah means rest. They believe that Noah is the seed of the woman. They believe that Noah is the Messiah. They think he's the promised seed of the woman. And he will bring an end to evil, although it will be a temporary end, not a permanent end. And his name means rest, and he'll bring a rest, but not in a final way. It'll be a temporary way. But in this verse, what I want us to see is that hundreds and hundreds of years after God had spoken, they are still clinging to the word of God and the promise of God with the knowledge that we are sinners And our only hope of salvation is the seed of the woman who we know to be, Jesus Christ. Isn't this amazing? We've already seen that in many ways Adam and Eve are what? They're Christians. Do you know what we're seeing here? This family of faith, Adam and the line of Seth, they're Christians. And if you read the rest of the Old Testament you watch, you realize this. Abraham was a Christian. Moses was a Christian. Peter says in Acts chapter 2, David was a Christian. Because all of them knew they were sinners. And by faith they were trusting in someone who would come and defeat death for them. In fact, Lamech, Noah's daddy. You know what Lamech means? It means conqueror. And there's two Lamechs in chapter 4, chapter 5. A Lamech from Seth, a Lamech. From Cain, the Lamech from Cain, we've already seen, an evil, immoral person. Lamech in the line of Cain, he's a conqueror. But how is he going to conquer? He's going to conquer by his own strength, by his own power. But this Lamech in the line of Seth, how will he conquer? He will conquer by trusting in the promised seed of the woman. Do you know the only place where we find the word conquer in the New Testament? It's in Romans chapter 8. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it's written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. We overwhelmingly lame it through him who loved us, meaning Jesus Christ. Throughout this chapter, we've seen, and he died, and he died, and he died. The only person who doesn't die is Enoch, and Enoch is a picture of those. He's a picture of those who will be raptured out of here. They won't experience death. But throughout this chapter, we see a world and a family that even though they're trusting in God, they still, they still experience death. It's the inevitable thing that we will all experience unless Christ returns. In all the advances of the world, all the advances that we've made, this virus has reminded us that the one thing we can't escape is death. All of us, born of Adam, we die. And just like them, our only hope of conquering the grave is the person Jesus Christ who came and lived and died for our sin. You know, there's a story of a little girl who had invited her uncle to church on many occasions. Wanted her uncle to come to church. He'd always said no. But finally, on one occasion, she invited him and he said yes. And she prayed for her her pastor. She prayed he would preach the most evangelistic message ever. She prayed he would preach like Billy Graham so that her uncle would come to faith in Christ. She arrived at church on that Sunday morning and she was deeply disappointed when they arrived and the pastor told them to open to Genesis chapter five and the genealogy of Adam and Seth. And her thought was, how in the world is my uncle ever going to come to faith in Christ on the basis of a study of an Old Testament genealogy? And it was the most boring sermon she had ever heard. Her uncle went home and... She was certain he would never return to church again. The next morning, she was amazed. She got a call from her uncle. And he called her and told her, I, thought, I think you just want to know that last night I trusted in Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. She was overwhelmed. She was confused. She, she said, how in the world did you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ on the basis of that sermon? It was the most boring sermon I've ever heard. And he agreed with her. <laughs> But he said, as that pastor was reading that genealogy, those words kept being said, and he died, and he died, and he died. And he told his little niece, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get those words out of my head. And I began to realize for the very first time, as I was getting later in my years, that I'm not prepared for death. And so I got on my knees and I pleaded with Christ to forgive me of my sins and I placed my faith in him. So through faith in him, I'd be born again and I could conquer death. You know, some of you this morning, you've been invited by a friend or somebody shared their Facebook page with you and you don't even know how you've ended up here. But here you are listening to a message on the genealogy of Seth. And maybe it has been an incredibly boring sermon. But maybe, just maybe, God has been speaking into your heart. That's the beauty of God's Word. This is no ordinary book. It's living. And maybe... By the power of God's spirit, he is speaking to you right now, and you're beginning to realize that you, just like all of us, are a sinner. That we are all born of Adam's seed, and we're broken. And maybe you find yourself this morning in a place of hopelessness and despair, but maybe also for the first time you're beginning to realize That Jesus came and lived and died for you and for your salvation. And I'm praying this morning, in fact, I'm challenging you, I'm pleading with you, this morning, would you trust in Christ? He is your only hope. He's the only means of salvation that you have. But if you will cry out to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. And he will be with you. And you will be with him forever in heaven. Let's pray together. God, I pray this morning for anybody that's been listening. And maybe, maybe God, by your divine power and by the power of your living word and your Holy Spirit, you've been speaking into their heart. And maybe they're wondering, is there anybody out there who knows me? Anybody out there who loves me? And I pray this morning by means of your word, they would know today that they are loved you knew them before the foundation of the world you knit them together in their mother's womb you know every action of their life and you know every thought of their mind and you know every intent of their heart and yet you love them and you demonstrated your love by sending your son Jesus to die on a cross not for his sins but for theirs And when Christ died, he bore all their sins, past, present, and future. And today, I pray that they would know that if they would trust in you, if they would confess their sins, they have an opportunity to give you their sin and they receive the righteousness of God. As your word says, he became sin, Jesus Christ, He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might be born again by faith into the family of God. God, I pray that your love and your kindness would so overwhelm them this morning that they couldn't help but turn in repentance and trust in you. Lord, work salvation in their heart. For those of us that do know you, Lord, this morning, I pray that we'd be a people of prayer. God, I pray that we would know who we are, that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, that we would know today that we were made On purpose and for a great purpose God I pray that we would walk with you and we would cling to your promise that while we are sinners our salvation has come through faith in Christ we pray this all in Jesus name amen